This is episode 17 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Welcome again to the Inner Game of Aging podcast. This is episode number 17. In this week's episode, we look at co-housing as a viable alternative to senior living. Now, if you don't know what co-housing is, well, you're not alone, but you must listen to this intriguing option and hear the possibilities that open up in considering this in your future. Wikipedia defines co-housing as an intentional community of private homes clustered around a shared space. But that definition doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what this concept is and the benefits it can bring. There are 165 co-housing communities in this country and that number is growing each year. Today's guest Cindy Turnquist has been involved with many co-housing communities across the nation over the past several years. And here she is today to share her experience and knowledge in educating me and my listeners to a concept of community living that can address so many of the issues we face as we consider our future years. Today's discussion provides a basis of understanding that sets the stage for further exploration in this area. This episode will sure to interest those entering retirement as well as those wishing to age at home or age in community. You will learn the core concepts that sets the co-housing communities apart from other models. You will also learn how to assess yourself to see if this is something that's really suitable for you as a person or your families. And you can also get a peek at how the finances might be handled in these kinds of living arrangements. Be sure to visit the show notes page for this episode. It has a number of links and resources that Cindy has given me to continue education in this area. There is also a self-administered questionnaire to help you determine if this kind of community is right for you. And the show notes, of course, can be found with the usual pattern, innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA17. Of course, as you know by now, that follows my typical pattern that allows you to find the show notes for any of the podcast episodes. That pattern is innergameofaging.com followed by a forward slash followed by IGA and then the episode number. The IGA, of course, stands for Inner Game of Aging. My aren't we smart? Okay, let's get going on today's episode. I'm really excited to share all this information about co-housing with you. Cindy, how do you pronounce your last name, Cindy? Turnquist. Turnquist. So it's it sounds it's pronounced just the way it's spelled. Yes. Okay. And so I believe it's Scandinavian. Okay. Um, now you have been. Um, how long have you been involved in co-housing? If if I read your bio properly, you've been involved since before 2014. Tell me a little bit of history about yourself as it relates to co-housing. I became involved in co-housing, I, I believe it would have been 2013 when I started studying the co-housing model. And I did that through, you know, starting down the normal path anyone would do if they're wanting to create a co-housing community, a senior co-housing community. And that would be starting with the study group one, which is um, put on by Chuck Durrett who brought the co-housing model to the United States. Uh-huh. But my, my desire and interest in creating communities um, actually started uh, before that. So what brought me to this model, and, and similar to what so many baby boomers are going through right now, is 
caring for their elder parents. Mm -hmm. And I, we became in our family uh, in a situation where my father-in-law required help. Um, so someone to go in and help with him on a daily basis. I quit or I closed down. I had an event management company. I closed that down. My husband and I moved from Park City, Utah, Utah down to um, Salt Lake City in a motorhome of, of all things. Oh, geez. On the side of my in-laws' homes. And I cared for my father-in-law. I became full-time caregiver from, for my father-in-law for two and a half years. Now, he was a big man um, and required to be moved with a Hoyer lift at least four times a day. Wow, four times. So we, we had aides that came in. I mean, I had an aide that came in four times a day to help with this process. We would be getting him up in the morning, you know, to shower, get mm -hmm. dressed, have breakfast, read the paper, um, watch a little TV, then back into bed and then back up. So four times a day through this process that we would move him. And he was the dearest man, so grateful, had lost his ability to to speak through mm -hmm. a major stroke and was paralyzed on one side of his body. But the sweetest man and so thankful for everything that we were doing for him. Um, and when he finally passed, I sat back and looked at the situation and said, this is not how there has to be a better way to do this. As mm. we, as we get to this frail point in our lives, not only for the individual who needs the care, but the caregivers themselves yes. and, the, and the, and the social services that come in to help. I mean, when you would look at these aides that would come in, they were overworked overburdened they were stressed they were driving from one end of the you know valley to the next end of the valley hurrying they were late if if a a person needed more help they would be then behind for the next person yes i can see how this works out <laughs> and they're and you know and really they're underpaid they're um I just knew there had to be a better way to do this. And at 50, so at, at 50, I told my husband, and with his blessing, I went back to school and got a degree in architecture technology and construction management and really did an emphasis on green building, a universal design so that it would be age-friendly and community building. And, and if I may ask, if I may ask, how old are you now, Cindy? I am 59. 59. <laughs> so, Welcome yep. to the club. As, <laughs> yeah. So as you know, nobody makes it out of this life alive. We, no. uh, we get older, but my intention is to never grow old, no matter how older I get. So, and I'd like everyone to join me, including yourself, if I could. So, but please continue. You're telling me a very interesting story. So this was where my interest came from. And my goal in doing this was that I want to be able to help create small communities that that provide care for not only the person, but the caregiver. And the way to do this is to bring, in my mind, was to bring individuals together who make a commitment to do that. So I then started researching what models are already out there mm -hmm. and fell in love with the senior co-housing model. So that's when I went and you know, took the courses, have been doing studying, a lot of um, research on creative community building. Mm -hmm. And how do we go about doing this the correct way. And I'll tell you, I'm not an expert in the field, but what I hope I can bring to this conversation mm -hmm. is someone who is interested in creating community, has researched many models out there, have looked at co-housing and said, I think this is 
for me, the best model and really would like to share with other people who feel that same way, how to go about doing it. Well, that's, that sounds exactly what we're here to talk about, but you raise an interesting question. Can you just briefly, inside of one or two minutes, list the other options that are available outside of co-housing to achieve such a thing? Some of the... Um, well, I didn't find anything. I will say I did okay. not find okay. anything that created this sense of community, which is bringing people coming together, making a commitment that they're going to care about each other and help each other through the aging process. And mm. the, uh, the other models that are out there are mm -hmm. more, I would say, developer driven. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, assisted living. Sure, and sure. continual care communities or senior apartments. Okay, and I see what you I see what you're talking about. This if I can paraphrase what you're saying, the co-housing um model tends to have participants heavily engaged in creating the community whereas the other models have the developer creating the community and people coming to it in that form. So, I'm um, did I get that right? Yes, that's okay. exactly. That's okay. exactly right. Okay, so now for my audience, I you know, I've been doing a little bit of research here since I've met you and so I'd like to answer a question that my audience may have and I would like for you and possibly me to describe exactly what senior co-housing is to a person who's never even heard the term. Sure. It might be best to start with a little bit of the history sure, of, sure. of, of co-housing. And, and it really was pioneered in Denmark in the early 1970s. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make it to the U.S. until almost two decades later when Chuck Durrett and Katie McCammack, his wife, they spent almost two years in Denmark researching this model with the idea that they were going to bring it back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they actually coined the term co-housing here in the U.S. And, and Denmark and in Europe, I, I can't even pronounce the name. <laughs> name. But that is, um, that is actually how it came to the U.S. There are different types of co-housing. So the most common co-housing community in the U.S. right now is there are about 165 multi-generational communities, which, because they've been 20 years in the process, are starting to become natural um, senior co-housing because the members are aging. Mm -hmm. And there are so they, <laughs> did I hear you right? They, they start off multi generational. That was their initial intention, but as the years go by, they are finding themselves more heavily focused on the elder members of their community. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Now the senior co housing model is really a seniors only, and there are eight that are um, have been developed in the U.S., but there are right now hundreds of communities that are in the in the forming um stages mm -hmm. of of communities being formed now and now you say the forming stages are these the communities that are being formed are they focused on seniors or are they multi-generational communities or both i <laughs> i'll tell you honestly there's a lot of them. Many of them are saying we want to be multi-generational, but it's the seniors that are being attracted to this model. Okay. So I think that by default, there'll be more seniors than there will be the younger generations. Sure, sure. Now, in these newer communities that are forming, and we'll get into describing exactly what distinguishes these communities, but in these communities, is there still the commitment amongst the community members to provide assistance and to help each other, even though they are not necessarily senior only? All, all, all co-housing communities come together with the idea that they will live as a community, they will care about each other and assist each other as much as they can. Okay. So that is, that is just a common 
a common um, interest, I guess, for people who are attracted to co-housing. Okay. Okay. Well, now let's try to describe more completely. Let's give my audience a more complete picture of what senior co-housing is, what it's like. Let's create a picture, if you can, of what it's like, what this term means and how it plays out. If you can define co-housing for me just a little bit. Well, I guess we'd start with what we've already been talking about. Yes. It's the heart of co- the co-housing movement and the senior co-housing movement in particular is that group of people come together with that commitment to live as a community and care about each other. Um, it's a small uh, privately owned homes that are, I guess you would say, nestled around a larger common house that really becomes the heart of the community. And they can be set up in really urban, suburban, mm-hmm. mountain, small town. So there is not one certain model. It just depends on where the group would like to live. Okay. So let me see if I get this part straight. These communities can be in an urban or a rural environment. What they all have in common is this common area which provides a lot of the function of the community um, and the people all connect to this common area but they own their own private space whatever that may be did i say that correctly or is that that is that is correct okay now the common area let's say the community exists in an urban environment let's say it's a building you could have one floor as a common area uh, and the other floors in this building to be the private spaces of the community does that seem does that still fit this model i'm just going from pictures that are happening in my head as we speak does a situation like that fit this model that does fit the the model and most urban um, built communities are that way where it is one building um, so you're building up, uh-huh. and and the common areas will be in one one section. That would be the say the common kitchen and dining areas, and okay. other other facilities that may be in the in okay. the common areas. But the key is for co-housing is that throughout the building there is spaces for spontaneous interaction between. The community members. Okay, can you so, explain, please? So most most common, you would think of a small building, um, more like an apartment or condo building, where you've got halls and doors that go along. Yep. With this, with this model, it's going to be a more open area, so that there are tables and little nooks where people ah, may, I see what may you're come out. I may come out of my. Um, front door and then sometimes in these front doors are just left open and yes. there's a, a little nook outside my area and I might go out there to read my paper and have my morning coffee and the next thing you know another neighbor stops by and another neighbor and so it's a spontaneous gathering Excellent. so it's important that the communities have those areas throughout regardless of if they're individual homes if they're townhouses if they're one you know, condo apartment looking type building. And now I'm starting to see why um, architecture would play so heavily. The architecture that we might find in an apartment building would be extremely different than the architectural situation in such a community. Yeah, in the, yeah, in a building because of these nooks and crannies you describe that help the spontaneity that would often occur between neighbors. So um, that's very interesting. So. Okay. Um, now I like to understand with a variety of people coming together, how does this commitment to assist each other happen? Are these groups of people who already know each other? Can you join and investigate such a group and see if you can make such a commitment? How does the commitment that is at the heart of this arrangement happen amongst the people? So generally it will start out with a group of friends. That mm-hmm. that's the most common way. I I can't tell you how many times I have heard people say, "Well, you know, my friends, we've all gotten together, and what we want to do is is get a 
home and we'll each take a room and we'll grow old together and we'll help each other. Hmm. This Now, this is the extension of that where we're going to say, oh, let's bring together 25 to 30, 20 to 30 households mm-hmm. that are all going to live t- together. And so the process goes into um, bringing the groups bringing the groups together by advertising or doing an introductory um, presentation mm-hmm. that says, this is what we're doing and this is what we um, are you interested in living out your life in this type of environment and um, we're for, you know we're forming this community we're looking for land mm-hmm. but but the goal here is that we're going to make a commitment that we will live as a community we're, like, we're going to live together we're going to care for each other yes yes that caring That's, for each other is a big part of this deal it's a big part of this deal mm. um, and then through that process more people will come in and into the group they'll mm. like the idea it involves what is called a co-development process where the owners are going to then help design what the community will look like mm-hmm. help manage the community and what transpires there and in other words they're in complete control they make all the calls this is not a profit driven developer or other you know senior type housing so the, this is a developer coming in wanting to you know produce you know construct such a facility and uh, it's still developer driven, but with a different intent or model behind it. Um, the developer is going to construct this environment and, but how do we get the right people in here? Is that also the job and responsibility of the developer? Well, no. And, and the community will choose their developer because they will start the process. They will gather ah. the people, they will gather the people together that are interested in this. And it's usually like-minded individuals that mm-hmm. come together. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I, I will say that yeah. they're generally focused on, you know, the larger picture of, of the aging process and wanting to make sure that they're caring for the environment and that there's lifelong learning involved in this. And there's a purpose maybe greater than the community itself. Mm-hmm. So this and, is a, and they choose a developer that's willing to pay attention to their concerns along these lines, I would take right, it. Right. Okay. Right. And they would choose a developer that is is going to be friendly, I guess, to to listening to their wants and needs and how this will happen and what the community will look like. They will decide. The members will really have a hand in deciding what that community, um, the physical design of the community, okay. and how they interact in that community. Okay. Now, uh, again, I'm, my questions are coming from listening to you, the questions that are left behind as I understand more deeply what you are saying. How does, in the case of a community that's coming together and still needs to attract more people, how do they vet those people? How You can't just accept anyone. You know, some pe- This may not be right for a few people. How do they vet the people coming to them after they form the core group? So those people will be invited to attend their meetings. Mm-hmm. They will then, you know, be a part of learn about the process mm-hmm. of of how a community is actually run and the views and values of that community. And I have a um, generally we will do a questionnaire to ask really a self-assessment that people can do when they want to, if they're interested, they want to really know, is this community right for me? Is, is living in community right for me? Which is maybe the larger question. Mm -hmm. And then, and then boils down and then goes down into about this group. Is this the right group for me? But you have a, you have a, a questionnaire that where someone can judge for himself if this is good. Um, do you have, can my listeners have access to this questionnaire? Um, oh, 
because I would love to be able to include this as part of my show notes page for anyone who may be interested to just check in with themselves to see if they're heading in the right direction in terms of the person they are. If you could, I would, I would love that. Absolutely. I'll send you an example. Okay, um, great. An example questionnaire. And part of that is really looking at, um, are you, are you um, a person that will thrive in community? Yep. And some of the questions might be an important one, I think, is that you respect others' spiritual paths mm-hmm. and don't hold yours as the only one. Yeah. I would say if you're maybe a community might come together around a s- spiritual um, commitment mm-hmm. and then and then maybe like, you know, like mindedness is important there. Yeah. But for more, more, more people than not, it, you need to be able to Flexible embrace tolerant, yes yeah diversity yeah. diversity is very important and i mean are you interested in being involved in group activities or are you you know an introvert versus an extrovert yeah, Sometimes- these, these are important questions but as you're talking it occurs to me that anyone who is Looking, or I shouldn't say anyone, most people who are looking at the co-housing option are already um, going beyond status quo thinking and therefore would tend to be a bit more open and tolerant in their acceptance of others if you're already going beyond the status quo thinking in considering these kinds of options. So, um so I would imagine that those people who are attracted to this would already find themselves predisposed to being tolerant um, of other people's differences. I'm, yeah, you, know, I, you would think you would think so. I'm but sure then, there are exceptions. Yeah, <laughs> when, you, when you're trying to assess if this is something that you want to do, it's maybe important that you do that. Another big question would be. You know, what am I willing to do to care, help care for someone else? That's important. And what am I willing to to have others do for me? That might be an important question when you're looking at, you know, senior co-housing. Absolutely. So, you know, like I have to be willing to give of my time. And to accept help. It's all, after all, this life is a give and take affair. You can't give only or take only. And, uh, and so in such communities, the give and take becomes a lot more apparent. How do you decide what you're willing to give? I mean, when a person asks himself, what am I willing to do in this community? How does that question get answered if he doesn't know much about the community? Well, that, and that, that comes along in the process a little bit. So it's mm-hmm. not that first meeting that you have. But generally it boils down to there are things that you, you're you okay with doing, things that you're absolutely not willing to do. Okay. And then there's, a, there's you know, the surprise um, group of things that you would do after you live in community and you become very um, friendly and um and know your neighbors well and you've grown together and you've aged together there there may be things that you are surprised that you're willing to do yeah but for the most part people will will say i'm i'm happy to bring you um coffee or or bring you soup when you're not feeling well bring in your paper if you're traveling, I will happily water your plants and take care of your pet or mm-hmm. uh and Come to visit. Just come over and visit when you're not feeling good or run you to a doctor's appointment. Pick up some things at the grocery store for you if you're sure. not. You know. Where the line starts to be drawn is when we become more frail and need more assistance and more help. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm probably not willing to help my neighbor bathe mm-hmm. or change adult diapers. Mm-hmm do those types of things. And that's where the community can come together and bring in outside help. Ah, okay. As a community, if you think about this, as a community, and we're talking, we're, we're spending so much time talking about the frail side of aging in co-housing. 
I know well, there's another side too that's that yeah, really needs to be spoken of, but yeah. you're absolutely right. But I'd like to continue along this line. I'm very glad that you pointed out that we're focused on one side, but there's another side that's grand. And, right. and so, but let's continue along this line. You said when uh, services are needed that are beyond what the community members are willing to participate in, external services can be brought in as a community to benefit yeah. multiple people. Yeah. Absolutely. If you think about a a single aide could come to the community and visit ten homes, mm-hmm. ten ten clients, all 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 within you know one visit. Yes. And the community can share in that cost versus every individual person okay. needing to do that. If no. as the community ages and you need more help. There are spaces in the common house for caregiving, oh. and a caregiver could actually live on site to help with many of the members of the community, and that can all be a shared expense. Excellent, excellent. I had there are options here that I hadn't even thought of. So now I know we just called out a hole in our conversation. That is the positive side of aging in such an environment is extremely significant. But I want to ask you some questions that veered away from that. Hopefully we'll get back to the positive sides of this because they are truly significant from what I'm seeing. But in in these communities, how is it managed? People come together, they need some sort of governance or, you know, conflict resolution or, you know, finance, you know, distribution and things. Can you talk a little bit about that side before you get into the other positive things about this? Yeah, so in a co-housing community, it's generally done by consensus. That's the, that's the norm. Mm-hmm. And by consensus, that doesn't mean that everyone... Everyone has to completely agree. Sometimes it comes down to, okay, what can we live with? Mm -hmm. The idea is looking at all the community members as equals, Mm -hmm. regardless of their age or ability to contribute to the community. And then decision making is done based on what what can we live with as a community mm-hmm. sometimes this this is very easy when you come together you, you will decide thinking of senior co-housing you will decide are we going to each of us work so many hours on the community and put in our time or or do we, maybe we want to provide an option for those who don't want to do the work or mm-hmm. can't do the work at any point they can contribute some money mm-hmm. and can someone help bring, come in to help do the maintenance on the sure, property sure do those types of things so you have an option you know for cost wise is maybe i can volunteer my time or maybe i can provide Support. more money mm-hmm. but the work will get done one way or another yes we, Communities will come together and they will decide that. How how do we want to manage the property and our homes and the maintenance? And now, there- is, is there is there I mean homes, properties and the maintenance thereof is one thing. How about disputes? Uh you know, like from about- our election uh, you know, there are disputes amongst Whenever people get together, there are boundaries crossed and disputes yeah. arise. How do we handle such things in, in our it community? Is, it is done. To, let me give you just a couple of, ex, of examples. Great. Of, of what, I, what I found I thought worked well mm-hmm. and others that for me would not work, but okay. for the communities that used them, it did work. In Nevada City, in California, the community there, Nevada mm-hmm. City Co-Housing, when I was visiting there, they had just come out of a dispute that was very difficult for their community. There was a, a woman in the community that had a large tree in her in her backyard, and the pine needles were coming down and causing uh, a hazard for her. That she it was slippery. It was yep. mm-hmm. it was. Um, just a nuisance for her in her yard. So she wanted to have the tree removed. Now you have a group in the community 
who say you can't cut down a tree. That's a living thing. You don't cut it down. Mm -hmm. We don't agree that that should go. And you should just have to live with what is happening in your backyard. Mm -hmm. This almost split up the community because you've got the group that are, we, we're worried about her safety and, and um, we want her to be happy. And the other side is, but we want the tree to stay. That's important to us. Both sides are legitimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they find how they resolved this was after many, many months and a lot of stress in the community, was one side decided, okay, we agree to let you cut down the tree, but we don't want to pay for it. So we don't want any of the community funds to go to pay for that tree to be cut down. And the other side that was more concerned with her health and happiness said, all right, we'll help fundraise to cut down the tree. Oh, so was now, so there was a section of the community that collected funds to cut down this tree while the other section did not. Did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they said this is how, and that's how they resolved it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that's interesting. That's an interesting resolution. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm just giving you some examples. Oh, great. I love these examples. And now we have an example um, here in the, in Salt Lake with a community here. And, I remember the first time I visited this community when I was starting to research co-housing and it was right before Christmas and the community was very excited. They were in their common house and they had all the decorations out for Christmas. They were dusting them off because they had been in storage for um, quite some time. Mm -hmm. And what had come about here is that they had one Jewish member of the community that found it very insulting, any outward um, display of the holidays, the mm -hmm. Christmas holidays. Sure. And as a community, they came together and they said, okay, so we don't want her to feel um, upset mm -hmm. by outward display. So we, as a community, will those who want to celebrate Christmas will do it in their own, their own space. Um, mm -hmm. space. And then the other, you know, outside, we just go along business as it is. So this went along and finally she passed away. And now this was the first year that the community was actually going to celebrate the holidays in their common house. And I have to say, this is one that I struggled with because I think that communities that the value is that you can celebrate everyone's differences yes yes not not suppress everyone's differences so but that was the that was what they had decided as a community each mm -hmm. community is unique and different sure. and, and governed how that community wants sure. wants to do it now, I would imagine even if this was the consensus decision that there are people who would disagree with this decision. And just like in our politics or in the country, the, those who disagree, no matter how small they are, will tend to have a loud voice, maybe. Yes. That can happen too. <laughs> and what, uh, when those who have been decided against cannot accept those decisions, uh, I can imagine some play there. Do you know of certain circumstances that you can give examples of? So where someone has been very loud and, and, um, yeah, and to, to agree. Yeah. He, he's, you know, the consensus has worked against this particular, a uh, particular vocal person or vocal group of people that represent a small minority in the community. But yet, this small minority tends to be fairly vocal. That can cause some difficulty, some stress inside of the community when that happens. How is that dealt with? Well, I think that the the key is not letting that small minority um, monopolize what's happening in the community. Mm -hmm. And I don't have I don't have 
an example to give you. Of sure, that. that's not a problem. That's not a problem. Yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking of all the things that go on in interpersonal relationships in such a venue, and trying to see how they will play out in a community such as this is a very very intriguing. Um, concept of community which is attracting and will attract a lot of people if my sense is correct about it because of our aging demographics so this is an and the whole co-housing right. issue is a big one that could solve a lot of problems if we were to embrace it properly but there's a lot of you know there's still some bumps and hurdles to go from to you know Anyone who wants to set up and reside in such a community still has to go through some bumps and hurdles. These sort of questions have to be looked at. Yeah. Right. I think, I think the key is making sure that you, you call attention to the strong disagreements. Okay. You really, you really approach those and make sure that that person is being understood. Yes. I, I like that. You know, handling disagreements through understanding rather than shutting the person off or anything else. I like to say, if I feel bad, I need to understand why I need, if you feel bad, I'd like to understand why not to put you down. Yeah. So, um, now I'd like to move on to the topic we were promising the advantages of growing old in a community. Um, and I used a wrong term growing old. I said, I should say growing older. If you take a look at my website, you'll see all over the place growing older, but never growing old. So growing older in such a community, um, seems like it's a, it's almost like a utopia almost describe what growing older in such a community is like the good side of it this time. <laughs> well, well, we know research shows, of course, that yes. people feel that their life is part of a larger community. They they live longer. They're happier. Yes, yes. They're more engaged. They are more active, and you know they have stronger immune systems. They have lower blood pressure. Absolutely. They have a lower risk of heart attack and cancer. And on average. The research shows that they live seven years longer. That's right. I've read so, the same research. <laughs> yep. So it is, you know, that being part of a community is, is so important. And and now picture being part of um, a community that actually gives you purpose. Yes. You know, a reason to get up in the morning and be, you know, connected to those people around you. It should be extremely beneficial to live in a community that cares about you, that you can give to, which is important, as well as those who will help you in time of need. This is extremely empowering to feel, just even to feel this concept around you as you get older. Um, and so I'm finding tremendous value in this model, which is what's making it so intriguing for me. So, uh, the, um, in those communities where it is aging, let's, let's say it started out as a multi-generational community, but the younger members have either moved away, the, the years have passed by and things are getting older. Have they recognized that the community is aging? What transpires upon such a recognition is there any does the community change in any way or do they now focus on who who's there or i'm not sure do they seek to bring in new blood or how, how does it work when a community ages in this fashion well in the multi-generational model they they of course are always working to bring in younger Mm-hmm. Younger um, families, as as um, people move or pass away in the community, but what they are focusing on now are what what needs to happen in the community so that we can age. Not, I don't think it's anything different from what as as the a whole the U.S. is going through. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, our, that's right. Yeah. We're aging. We're all aging. You know, we we all know the the statistics. There are all us baby boomers have, you know, all turned fifty. Ten thousand of us are turning yep. sixty five a day. Um, yep, yep. A day. And so we are. Everyone in the U.S. is now focused on this. Um, what do we do? What what do we do with 
all this aging. So each a co-housing community isn't any different from that. They're starting to look at, okay, we need to be able to create a committee that will look at aging in our community. How do we care for our seniors? Who's who's watching out for you know them? Who's making sure that that if they haven't opened their curtains by ten, um, maybe we knock on the door, make sure yeah, everything's okay. Yes. okay. So um, and maybe we need to do a little bit of retrofitting in the community so that it's easier to get around with wheelchairs. Okay. Uh, that some of the physical aspects of the community might need to be retrofitted for our aging, you know, aging members. But uh, so, as as a let's say a, a community that was initially designed to be multi generational, it is now aging, and you're saying that it takes a look at this, the demographics of its own community, and may make changes, physical changes, actually, sometimes, to the community itself to support the aging members. You're saying these communities can adapt to its changing environments. Absolutely. And no different than just what we need to do as a country. Right? <laughs> Thank you. This is just a smaller version of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's move to the finances of such a arrangement. Um, the members typically buy their own space. This is doesn't have to be any different than a condo or a house. Right. Um, is there is there any other such arrangements other than owning your own space? Could you yeah, rent your space? Generally, right now, the most common the the most common arrangement is like a condominium. Mm-hmm. So you own you own your own space, and then you have a share in the common areas and and the land, the the grounds around it. But it is becoming more. Uh, more attractive, I think, to the seniors in in our country that are saying, maybe I want to rent and and free up all my a- assets. Right? Yes, yes. And so I know that the co-housing model, especially senior model, is now starting to look at that. I am looking at that. What you know? How do we accommodate that individuals who just want to rent and don't want to actually own? Now, they still have to make a commitment into the community, even oh, if they absolutely. rent, because yeah. that's at the heart of things. So exactly. renting is not a way to escape your responsibilities inside of a community. But, right. you know, but I'm not exactly sure. I'm still not exactly sure. And you're investigating it. You said how renting right. would work out in this situation. Um, I'm ass- yeah. Do you have answers yet? I'm assuming you don't yet have answers well, to no, how I that might work out. We are, we are looking at this, but I can tell you there are some rentals in, in, co-housing communities that that do work out because individuals maybe have to leave um, the community for work or, or whatever mm-hmm. and then they rent their units but it is known that okay if I'm going to rent it I have to rent it to someone who is co-housing friendly right yes, they want yes. to live as a community so okay so interesting um but now the, the you're buying your own space this is no more or less expensive than buying your spa- own space anywhere um i'm assuming rents would be no more or less than rents would be anywhere so as long as you're going to buy or rent renting is the new way of looking at this but as long as you're going to buy or rent you're not talking about any more you know than you would normally however the common area requires upkeep and funds to do so, and labor to do so. And so just like a condominium, you have a fee that maintains these common areas. I'm assuming it's the same way in a co-housing arrangement as well? Right, yes. There are are HOA fees. um, They tend to be less. Uh, in a co-housing community because you're not paying a management company to to do the work, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's mostly done by the community as long as it can be. And then if the community decides, no way we want to hire someone, then that can be done. So typical uh, HOA fees for a community depends, again, it always yeah. depends on what the community is, right? Do we have Absolutely. a swimming pool? Do we have all these things that need extra maintenance and insurance? But yep. it might range from 100 and 
$120 to $300, depending on the community. A now, typical condo fee was starts in the higher ranges of that. You know, right. 250 mm-hmm. is a typical condo fee at the low end. So, right. Right. okay, so you're saying it's typically lower. And right. the reason for it being lower is because many of the services that a typical condo fee would pay is being provided for by community members. Right. So, okay. And, you know, so, you know, the cost of my apartment or house is not going to be higher or lower than it, the market bears. Well, yeah. maybe sometimes they're mm-hmm. a little bit um, above market rate. Mm-hmm. If the community, because this is common, that they want to do some green building, they, so the initial cost to do, to do this is we might we're going to put in solar, we're going mm. to use green building materials. So the cost may be slightly more, mm-hmm. but offset. There are a lot of communities that now feed power back into the grid, and they mm. make money actually rather than paying for power in their communities. So it eventually when you are sharing in resources you are sharing in um, meals together Mm. and possible care that the savings is um enormous interesting interesting Uh, can you go into you know i recognize the part I was focusing on, the finances and the costs, but you just brought up another thing. The savings is enormous. Sometimes the common areas helps you to save money. You can buy a smaller house. You may not need laundry services if they're provided for in the country area. There's other small savings like this. Speak of the savings that might typically be found in by living in such a community. Well, let's, let's say we, as a community, decide that we are going to give up our vehicles, most of us, and we're going to have a community van that we drive around. You've got one vehicle. You've got one mm. one lawnmower. You've got... Mm. Think about as not only from an environment, but from cost savings that now we can downsize as a community into our entire footprint and the resources that we use and the cost that comes along with all those resources. That sounds excellent. I don't have to buy my $1,000 snowblower. No. We're going to share that with 30 other households, right? That would be great. It's a great snowblower. I'd love to share it with all my neighbors around me and yeah, and reduce the cost of that. That would be fantastic. So, and, then, um, and then having meals together, it's common for a co-housing community is to have meals together multiple times mm-hmm. during, during um, the week. I imagine now think about what a community can bring in for um, cost savings. Not only, well, okay, we don't want to all have to cook all the time. What if you have a, a culinary school close to you? Think about bringing in a chef. Wow. Several times a week to cook for the, the community. How how fun would that be? The possibilities keep on opening up here. The right. more, longer I'm talking with you, the more I see possibilities opening up that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> so this is... <laughs> This is absolutely wonderful, the possibilities that could happen. I'm not saying that all this stuff does happen. I'm just saying that the previous previous model did not present all these possibilities to my mind. This, I mean, the the sort of stuff that could happen here is truly engaging my mind. So um, now, how does, so you've intrigued us. How do we go about finding, exploring? Let's say we would like to move into an established community. You know, take setting up a community is a lot of work. And let's say we want to find an established community and see if we can qualify for living there. How does is that a possibility? How does how does one go about doing that? So the best resource is going to be cohousing.org. And there is a list of existing communities and it will show if there are openings. Could you say that again? Call housing? Cohousing.org. Cohousing.org. Okay. I'll have a copy of this in my 
you know, I'll copy these information in my show notes as well. So if my listeners are listening here, they're driving, they don't have to remember this stuff. Just visit the show notes page. All this information will be there for you. So, um, there's also another one. It would be IC.org. So that is for intentional community.org. Could you, could you spell that? IC.org. Is that the letter I, the letters? I- uh-huh, for intentional community. So IC.org. Oh, interesting. Okay. I will That's the fellowship include that. for intentional communities. And we and the co housing association works closely with them. Okay. Um, and so the now, process would be I if I'm interested, I'm going to make an appointment to go visit the community. I may say, Okay, I like this area. I like the layout of the community. I like the architecture of the community. Now I'm going to attend possibly a couple of community meetings. And it might be a meal. So I might mm-hmm. come to one of the potlucks or mm-hmm. you know, just one of the small gatherings. Get a feel for what the community is like. Look at the, the values and purpose of the community. Is this something that... Uh, speaks to me am i interested in this so it's you it's not just looking at do i like the house and am i you know and and the price Mm -hmm. is right and i'm gonna live here you're really getting a feel for the community is that someplace you want to live go through uh, you know meetings with them and and then you'll, you'll make that decision that way so each common house has guest quarters in it for exact for this for this reason, okay. and let's say I'm you know when I'm living here, I've now downsized into my small home, but I still want my family to be able to come visit me. So there are guest quarters in the common areas, so my family can come visit at any point that we want. And so all you have to do is call a community and uh, reserve the guest house or the guest quarters. Uh, for whatever time period that you want to be there. Okay. And um, communities are used to this. This is something that they're used to people coming to visit. So. Okay. Uh, so now I'm not coming to visit as a potential member. I'm coming to visit as a reporter, a journalist. Uh-huh. Is, th- is that something that they would accommodate? I mean, yes, would they? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I'm, is it possible for you to set me up with such a community? Absolutely. So I I would first, um, so I'm going to pick two communities and now I'm going to have to get you the information. um, That's not a problem. I'll forward that to you. Um, But Wolf Creek Lodge in Grass Valley, California. Let me get this name. Could you spell that again? Wolf, it's Wolf Creek Lodge. Wolf Creek Lodge. And that's in Grass Valley, California. Grass Valley. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and I and I will get this information to you. Um, Thank you and, so much. And the other one is Elder Spirit. Elder, oh, I like the sound of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, now I have to remember where they they're back east, so I'm going to have to get that for you. Okay, so, those are two complete different types of senior co housing that I think would be great for you to visit. That would be excellent, Cindy. Cindy, this has been an extremely eye-opening conversation. I believe this, my listeners will really take in and enjoy this information. Um, let, how do my listeners find out more about you? You've presented some very intriguing information. They may want to contact you directly or somehow get hold of you. Is that possible? Oh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. In 2014, I formed Sage Hill Mm-hmm. Partners, and that's what we're focusing on. And okay. you can visit me at sagehillpartners.com. Okay. Okay. Um, All my contact information is there. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, I, would like add, I would like to add, if I could, because Please. You, you made um, the comment that you believe that communities, you, we should age in multi generational. Yes. And I agree with you, but I, I'm going to tell not you. Not everyone feels that way, by the way. Yeah, not so. everyone not everyone feels that way. And I, and I want you to know that just because you're in a senior 
only focused community. It doesn't mean that family members aren't always there and grandchildren and children are, are hmm. visiting. Um, so there's always that opportunity. Okay. And the one question that I always tell people to ask and themselves is, what do you want the dinner conversation to be when you're all gathered? And that, that's a simple question, but they may tell you if you want to be in a senior only or a multi-generational community. Mm, yeah, that, that should help determine that. So. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, children tend to dominate the conversation. Um, and many people will say, I want to have an intellectual conversation over time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so that's just something to think about. Yes, yes. My goodness, you are very articulate on this topic as well. I've understood so much more than I did before. Before I spoke with you, I did some research on co-housing in order to sound intelligent during this conversation. But you've opened up my eyes even further to the nuances that I did not read about. And so um, you're, you're a marvelous spokesman for this model. I have a, a question for you that I ask all of my guests on this podcast. No one escapes. Whether I actually end up putting in the end episode or not is my choice, depending on your answer, et cetera, et cetera. Cindy, you are 59 years old now. As you know, my this podcast is called The Inner Game of Aging. The question I put to every guest is, what surprises you most about being 59 years old? I... I think what surprises me most about 59 is my physical abilities are, are, are not what they used to be. But it's more the, the ageism, I guess, that's happening in our country. Mm. With this idea that as we're getting older, we're somehow diminished. And I... I'm always looking around going, why? <laughs> when people ask me, why would I want to live with a bunch of old people? I say, look at us baby boomers. We are in complete denial. We are living longer, healthier, happier. That's right. That's right. Purpose filled lives. And not only that, but we, you know, we control 79% of the nation's disposable income. That's right. Uh, we are. Um, it's just a creative type that is really focused on living life to its fullest. Why wouldn't I want to live with a whole community of purpose-driven seniors? So I guess that's the, the most surprising thing for me is that that we need to change the narrative in our country Absolutely. about what seniors have to offer. The, the, you and I are speaking the same language there. That's what my business is all about, to help us understand that our cultural stereotypes tend to diminish us and that if we were to accept that, we only live a portion of our lives and a portion of our potential shows. But to understand and accept the aging process in oil's gloriousness and its harsh realities is to empower ourselves to separate from the cultural stereotypes and to find our power and our wisdom. They say that aging turns you into the person you always should have been. And so, <laughs> and so I am. Embrace it, right? Embrace it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We are the ones who teach ourselves how to grow old. Biology tells us to get older, but we are the only ones who teach us how to be old. And aging is both a biological and a cultural process. To age in one culture is different than aging in another culture. And in this particular culture, the Western culture, which is so youth-oriented, we really have to learn better ways of aging and embracing our aging and being empowered by it. We're forced to be reckoned with. And that wraps it for episode 17 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. I learned a lot from this discussion today. With Cindy's help, I hope to be doing further reporting on these co-housing communities in the near future. This could be captured in a New Age Aging video or other formal reporting venue. I don't know at this time. But I feel this topic is important enough to educate all of us on more deeply. 
I've put all of this information plus more on the show notes page for this episode. There, you will find all the sites mentioned in our discussion. You will also find the sample questionnaire that can help you determine if a co-housing option is suitable for you or not. And there are other links there as well. The URL for the show notes page is innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA17. Leave comments on this page to let us know your views and experiences. If you are listening to this on your mobile device, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of the topics that are coming your way up ahead. By subscribing, you will automatically receive each episode as it is released. And be sure to visit the Inner Game of Aging website. There you will find all the episodes for these podcasts, as well as videos, including the New Age Aging videos, and other age-related articles for you to read. But I want to ask you to subscribe to the website, which is something new we've done to it. And this is especially important if you truly believe in this grow older, not old message. By subscribing to the website, you signify your connection to this message and can participate in making this a larger reality within and around you. And I'll let you know how we can do that. But of course, you can always email me directly using lee at innergameofaging.com. So until next time. Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.